Loving Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord. You've been with us every day, in the mornings and the afternoons, and we do now invite your presence to be with us as we close out our week talking about relationships, the husband, the wife, this unique combination that you intend to be a lesson to teach us about your love for us and to teach the wife about your love for the church and the church's desire and blessing in being dedicated to the husband and the husband to the wife. This afternoon, Lord, we pray that you guide in our final session and that we'll be strengthened and that we'll go forth with one determination that is to work through our differences and to experience marriage in every way that you know it can be. So send your Holy Spirit now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of our seminar is To Have and to Do What? To Have and to Hold On. It doesn't make sense to have and not to hold on. We hold on when the ride of life speeds up. And in relationships, sometimes the ride of life, the relationship of life speeds up. Yesterday, we talked about 10 areas in relationships that highlight the reason why relationships often disintegrate. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at number nine, reason number nine, and reason number 10. Now, I, am, I believe that these are being recorded, and for that reason, you might be able to inquire with the audiovisual team as to how you can get a copy of it. But let us take our time to look at reason number nine. And I'd like you to say that with me. What is reason number nine? Career first. Now, this is a picture of a woman. Generally, we think of man locked in careers. But we live in quite a different world today. Women have jobs. Men have jobs. The, the idea that the husband brings home the bacon, fries it up in the pan, is, is gone. Because there are, in many instances... House husbands. I know of couples, they decide for the betterment of their children, they get together and determine the husband's going to stay home because they have a son, or the wife is going to stay home because they have a daughter. And they put one career on hold, even though both of them are highly qualified, both of them have degrees. They determine, and so they get together and they component their lives to determine how they're going to be able to make it financially and they do cut back on a lot of their expenditures because they discover that the best investment in life you can make is in your family, is in your children. And when you make that kind of investment, realistically, you'll discover that the returns are far greater than if you worked at a job or a company and ignored your family and left that child to a babysitter to raise. But the one thing that you have to keep in mind is when you put career first, uh, there are instances, and the statistics are higher, that men think that the greatest, the greatest in life is to provide for their wife a house, a comfortable living, money in the bank, financial security, insurance, 
all the accoutrements of life. And in many cases, what the wife wants more than anything else is just her husband. And we've discovered in cases where wives have said, you know, honey, I don't care what kind of car we have. I don't care what kind of house we have. If I could just have you, that will be to me a tremendous blessing. And some individuals, some men have said, I don't know why my wife is upset. I give her everything I want. And as a counselor, I've had to say to him, well, all she wants is you. Amen, ladies? Sometimes all the wife wants is the husband. Sometimes all the husband wants is the wife. So when you put making a living over strengthening your relationship, you'll find out all the money in the bank brings you to the place where you come to realize that money does not buy happiness. It doesn't. Because when you are at odds, who cares what kind of car you have? Who cares how much your house costs? No one really cares what kind of financial uh, strength you have in the bank. No one really cares about the rise and fall of the stock market. A lot of times people get to the place where they walk away from everything. They're willing to give up house, car. Some people have walked away from their marriage because they said, I had the big car. I had the nice house. I had the six-figure income. I had the banks. I had the three-car garage. I don't want that. I just want a man that I could love. And so don't put career above marriage. And in some cases, women have walked away. Some cases, men have walked away because for whatever reason, one couple, a one person in the relationship decided to put career above, above marriage. So if you're going to do anything, the only thing that should be above your marriage is God. But let me make a very important point. Some people have used God to ignore their marriage. Some people have said, you know, Honey, don't bother me right now. I'm having Bible studies. Well, God never intended for the Bible to be the reason that you and your wife are at odds. And some people are so heavenly-minded, are you ready, that they are no earthly good. So don't even use religion as an excuse why you cannot spend time with your spouse. And sometimes we make religion our career. Pastors, homes, have fallen apart because they put that career above their children. Have you heard the phrase PK or the acronym PK? What does that stand for? Pastor's kid. I've had some kids have said to me sometimes, my dad is talking to the world. He's traveling all over the world, preaching to people, winning souls, but I don't know him. And I met my dad, my natural father, when I was 13 years old. I knew him for 31 years, but I never knew him because he never let me in. He put career above me. He put career above family. Don't allow finances and your career, no matter how nice your office is, it's not what floor you're on, but it's what foundation you're on as husband and wife. Amen? Career above marriage. But the, but the thing that has swayed the pendulum most, the two things is communication and this one, has been a very significant impact to relationships, and some of you have even expressed this. The third thing that has been a, a reason why relationships disintegrate is there is what in the marriage? No religion. Now, sometimes, and I say this with a grain of salt, sometimes, sometimes it's better to be on different religious foundations than to have no religion at all. 
And let me tell you, these are very, these are very small cases. Because sometimes an Adventist, and I'm not even endorsing this at all, I believe that you should marry some person, a person of your own faith. But in many cases, when an Adventist marries a non-Adventist, or an Adventist marries, well, I'm going to just use this example first, an Adventist, Adventist might marry a Baptist, or a Baptist might marry a Catholic. And we've had evangelistic series where we visited a Baptist married to a Catholic, and they've come to a Revelation seminar. And one of the first things they've said is, in our home, we cannot talk about religion. That's like an off topic. But what the Lord has done, since there is a door open for God, He has in many cases, when they are praying and seeking the Lord, He has in many cases brought that couple that was doctrinally separated to a point of both of them discovering truth together. However, don't marry somebody that's of a different religion of you or no religion at all and then take them on as a project and become a family evangelist. Because one of them will say, don't preach to me. Have you heard that before? Don't preach to me. That's your religion. That's your church. I will have nothing to do with it. And sometimes people go for decades and never find any harmony religiously. But even more, even more amazing to me than that is sometimes people are in relationships where they don't have religion the first time. They get a divorce and they marry somebody else that doesn't have religion again. And I've said to people, same bus, different driver. <laughs> get that? You're going in the same direction. You've just changed drivers. And here's the reason why it's so vitally important to have Christ in the home. Because marriage cannot be sustained. Well, let me rephrase that. Since God created marriage, only God can sustain marriage. Or more than that, only God can make marriage a tremendous blessing. Because some people have been, all their lives been hoping, praying, hoping, praying. And here's where I want to give you some hope. As long as, your as long as the both of you is alive, both of you are alive, there's a chance that God will break in and give your spouse, whichever one is the non-believer, a face-to-face wake-up call, and they'll find Jesus, and your marriage will escalate. I had a couple that was in one of my churches. She was Adventist. He was not Adventist. I don't usually perform weddings where people are not, are, are not on the same page uh, spiritually. But for whatever reason, this one couple, the only time I ever did it was I married a couple that was not on the same page spiritually. There was something about the man that God impressed me. He is just a matter of time. And I'd never done it before because my, my very principles as an Adventist pastor is do not marry an Adventist to a non-Adventist. We don't support that. But the Lord had so, the Lord impressed me about this, something about this man. He is just a matter of time. But I learned that don't push him. Don't make it your business to tell him every time you see him, hey, when are you going to join our church? Because nothing turns off a person. Because the Bible says, one plants, another waters, but who gives the increase? God gives the increase. Only God can know when that plant is going to begin to bear fruit. The wind blows. We don't know where it's blowing from. We don't know where it's blowing to. But by the time that person 
experiences the work of God in his life, that when that Holy Spirit has been blowing a long time. And so some people say, I was baptized, I was born again on January 2nd, whatever year. I say, no, you are not. That's when you acknowledged it. That's when you realized it. But a hurricane doesn't start blowing when it arrives at your location. It's blowing on the way there. And that's how the Spirit works. The Holy Spirit begins to work on your spouse or work on your wife or husband long before they even recognize it. And I've known some people that were married to people that were not Adventists. And then all of a sudden, one day, it just clicks. And that person in his or her dedication passes the Adventists in their dedication. And they're the reason why they get up on Sabbath morning, get to Sabbath school, involved in church. And then all of a sudden, the person who has had this doctrinal belief and have known about Christ for so many years and have had a particular set of beliefs have said, wow, my wife is on fire for the Lord. I never thought she'd get there. But hold out hope because with God, nothing is impossible. Can I get an amen? But what your, but what your job is, and I'll tell you how that couple that I married, what happened. One day I got a call from the husband, and the wife also told me after I married her, I was at a church in California, she said this to me. She said, don't you leave this church until you baptize my husband. <laughs> That's what she told Don't leave until you baptize my husband. And I was there, we were there a little more than six years. And, um, and the Lord took note of that, and the Lord, I believe, decided, okay, I have a time frame in which to work because I know how long I'm going to have you here and I know how long that wife has given you. That, that ultimatum, don't leave here until you baptize my husband. So one day I got a call from the husband and he says, uh, my wife is at work. Could you come on over? And I went over, went to the house. He said, um, Pastor John, I know you've made a lot of altar calls. I've been at your church. I've been there with my wife. And you know I'm not into this religion thing. But I want to show you what the Lord has done in my life. He said, first of all, you see, you see that thing over there against the wall? I said, yeah. He said, that is my bar. You know, alcohol. He said, but let me show you something. He spun it around. He said, there's no alcohol here. My wife doesn't know that I threw it all away. Doesn't know that. And I said... When did that happen? He said, it's been a while ago, but I never told her. He said, one night I woke up and I reached over for my wife and she wasn't there. And, and I got up to find, what is she doing? What is she up to? He said, I peeked out into the living room and my wife was on her knees. And I know she was praying for me because there's no way that what happened in my life could have happened if she wasn't praying for me. And he looked at me. He was a stout guy. He looked at me, and he held his hand, and he says, I'm ready. Prepare my baptism. There's one other thing she said to her husband. She said, we will not have children in a divided home. So, I'm not even going to try to have a child with you because I'm not going to have a fight over which way this child is going to be raised. When we are on the same page spiritually, we'll have a child. And he said, let me tell you what happened. Yesterday or day before, whatever day it was, I was rushing, and I know my wife has been praying for me because I couldn't find my car keys. 
I just couldn't find them. When I finally found my car keys and I was on my way to work, I work uh, you know, in the Bay Area, he said, when I got to where I normally would have been had I had my car keys, there was a multiple car pileup. And I knew if I had left when I normally would, I may have been in that car accident. And I knew again my wife was praying for me. So he says, I'm ready. So I'm going to tell my wife when she comes home today. And I want you to know the last, I think it was the Sabbath before, the Sabbath of the last, one of the two, very close to the time I ended, I had one baptism left before I left that church, and I baptized him. And you want to see your wife rejoice. Well, now they have a son. And when I tell you about a son that's connected to Jesus, they've sent us videos of him singing in front of the church. They sent us videos of him staying at a Sabbath school lesson. And I want to tell you, there's nothing impossible for God. Amen? But, but your job as a wife or a husband, don't try to be the evangelist or preach or show your anger and say, how long is it going to be? What they want to see more than anything else is what Christ has done in your life. And love suffers long <laughs> and is kind. Let the long suffering, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long suffering. You don't know how long it is, but God does. And he's not willing that any should perish. So let the religion in your family show up in your life. When you come home from church and he's maybe watching television, make him dinner anyway. When the Sabbath comes in and he doesn't want to have Sabbath with you, don't argue with him and say, you know what? That's the problem in our marriage. Say, wow, man, how can my wife be Christian and always blowing up on me? Let him see or let her see what Jesus has done in your life. Is that clear? So no religion in your home is not the end, but sometimes the Lord is waiting, and I know this because when I met my mom, and I'm going to just give you a little hint here, I was abandoned by my mother when I was only three months old. I didn't meet my mother until I was almost 26. My mother left me at a babysitter, left me there, just left me there and walked away. And all the years I wanted to meet her, I was an angry young man. But I knew the reason why God did not allow me to meet her is because my anger meant I just want to tell her how angry I was that she left me. When I met her, and I was able to say to her, Mom, I forgive you. I'm glad that God brought us back together. It took a while for me to get there. Sometimes God is waiting for the believing spouse to get to a certain place so that when he brings along the non-believing spouse, they could say, you know, I do want to be what my husband is. I do want to be what my wife is because I see the difference in her life. So be the flower that keeps growing, be the sun that keeps shining, and be the Christian through whom Christ is still being reflected. Amen? And let the Lord do the work. He's not willing that any should perish. But sometimes we are not in the right place in our own attitude toward the unbeliever, and they don't really want to have what we have because they don't really see that it has made any difference in your life. Which takes us now to conflict resolution. Conflict resolution, and I pointed this out, and I want you to say, say this with me. Both of you together, both of you are on the what? Same team. We're on the what kind of team? Same team. What is conflict resolution? As long as my wife and I have been married, 
We're still learning the principles of conflict, conflict resolution. It's not something you ever stop using. Any guys here like power tools? I guess some guys like power tools. That makes your testosterone go up. I got a John Deere. A John Deere, a nice professional John Deere because we live out in the country. We have a lot of acreage. If you try to cut my lawn with a, with a push mower, you'll be out there for three days. I got a John Deere, and when I get in that John Deere, I feel like a man. This is not a machine for a woman. Now, there's a, there's a, there's a method, there's a, there's a reason for the story. The reason why you don't want your wife to use it because you're afraid that she might not follow the sequence because you got to start those things up based on the sequence. Come on, guys, you know what I'm talking about? you got to make sure the handles are locked out, the brake is set, and the manufacturers are so determined that they, they, it won't start up unless you're sitting on the seat on the safety brake, the hands are set to the right, and the brake is locked. Else the wife will be out there going, honey, this doesn't work. And you'll say, honey, just follow the sequence of events. Well, the same thing is true in marriage. You have to have tools. You see, conflict resolution is this. We have a problem. But we have to learn how to use the tools to do what? To solve them. In the very same way, you don't use a hammer to make a cake. At least I hope you don't. <laughs> you know, you don't, use, you don't use a hammer to kill a fly on your spouse's forehead. <laughs> hope you don't. Because if that's the reason, I know why they're insane. You got to know what the tool is used for Learn how to use it, and when you learn how to use the tools of conflict resolution, then all of a sudden you'll discover, hey, now I see that a Phillips head screw needs a Phillips head adapter. Because I've seen some wives try to take a Phillips head screw off with a kitchen knife. <laughs> Guilty. Guilty, right? You have to say, honey, it's been 15 minutes, what are you doing? This I can't get this screw to move. And he goes out and gets his proud, variable speed power drill made by Makita. Puts his, puts his cartridge in, and he says, move out of the way. And he goes, eh, honey, that's all you have to do is call me. And my wife has learned the secret. My wife would say, like, if there's a picture that needs to be hung, I'm a very good handyman. She'll say, I need, I need some wire, and I need some screws, and I need some nails. And I said, what for? I'm going to hang a picture, and I, she shows me where it's going to be hung. I said, honey, you know you don't have to do that. Just ask me. But you're busy. And you know they do that, because when they tell you you're busy, what happens, guys? We stop what we're doing, and we hang the picture, and then we go back to what we're doing. Right, guys? My wife knows how to do that. But the point is, I know how to use every tool in my toolbox. And you know what? You may not even know it, but your wife knows how to use tools also. If she didn't know how to use the frying pan, the spatula, the blender, the mixer, you wouldn't want to eat dinner from her. She knows how to use tools too. 
when it comes to solving problems in the relationship, there are tools. Let's talk about some of those. The 10 steps of conflict resolution. There are 10 steps. Now, first of all, the first step in conflict resolution is when you recognize you have a conflict, and I learned this the hard way. When you recognize you have a conflict, the first thing, you could write this down if you'd like, if not, I think it's being recorded, you set a time and place for discussion. Now, this is really important. This set a time and place for discussion is really important. Now, the reason why you do that is because <laughs> if you discuss your problem in the living room on the couch, every time you sit on the couch in the living room, what are you going to remember? Your problem. If you do it at the dinner table, every time you sit at the dinner table, what are you going to remember? Your problem. The safest thing to do is set a time and place, sometimes outside of the house, sometimes in a place you've never visited before. So this could be your time and place for discussing problems. So when it's like taking the garbage out, you go home and you don't remember it. It's no longer a factor. But sometimes people set the wrong time and place for discussions. Sometimes people wait till dinner time to discuss problems. And you know what happens? You'll end up eating by yourself. Anybody know what I'm talking about? No, don't raise your hand. Sorry, don't raise your hand. Sometimes people wait till bedtime to talk about problems. And you know what happens? You'll be going to bed by yourself. Or he'll be going to bed really early. Why are you going to bed at, eight, at 6.30? I'm really tired. And in Michigan, there's like four more hours of daylight. And he, he wants to just go to sleep before you or make sure that you're snoring before he comes to bed. Because you know what? He wants to avoid talking about the problem. So set a time and place for the discussion. That's the first thing. Second thing, very importantly, define the problem and the issue of disagreement. Define the problem. Say that with me. Define the problem and the issue of disagreement. If you're upset, you ought to know what you're upset about. And usually we ask that, we ask that question like on the, on the top of our head. What are you upset about? <laughs> don't, don't do it that way because you might get a, a steamboat of answers. What am I upset about? And you just open a door that you really wish you didn't open. Define the problem and the issue of disagreement. And there's ways of doing it. Come on, come, come on up here, honey. There's ways of doing it. I'm going to illustrate. Come on, sweetheart. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the lady behind the man, Angela Lomacan. You didn't see that, did you? That's spousal abuse. I'm just kidding. So I'm going to show you. Okay, we're going to we're going to illustrate. So we're going to talk about. We're going to kind of communicate. So. Um, Do we have a problem, honey? Yeah. You stay up so late at night. And why is that a problem? Because I want you to go to bed with me when I go to bed. And why is your time to go to bed the right time? 
Because you need to go to bed when I go to bed. That's why. And why? It's because you should. Is as there a, any benefit a, to go in bed when you, when you when go you to bed? When you get a good night's rest, it's good to go to bed at what? Before midnight. We okay. all know that. You get a good rest instead of one, two in the morning. Are there any, are there any psychological and physical benefits? <laughs> yes. Like you talk like, like, like you yeah. <laughs> You don't talk like that. But you need to go to bed with me when I go to bed. Okay. Okay? How do you feel when I go to bed with you at the same time? I feel so much better. I could have someone to cuddle with. It feels so good after we have worship and we could just lay down together and cuddle. And it feels so good. Oh, on that, on that note, I will go to bed at the same time. <laughs> you know, here, here's what I did. Here's what I did. I tried to pull out of her. We didn't plan this either. That was completely off the cuff. So, what's the benefit for me if I go to bed at the same time? <laughs> Behave. Well, uh, we cuddle. We cuddle. We do. We love to we cuddle. We are spooners. Any spooners? Come on, any spooners in here? We spoon. Summer, winter, spring, fall. Until my hot flash kicks in. <laughs> <laughs> she said, get off of me. I'm on fire. No. <laughs> like if, and you know the hot flash is bad when you, when you hear this sound. <laughs> and you, you turn around, your wife is, just goes up in ashes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But no, but we, that, that helps us fall apart. I mean, that helps us fall asleep. It helps us fall apart. Please edit that, edit that, edit, edit, edit. <laughs> that helps us fall asleep. And because my wife cannot learn the principle of turning her mind off. She's always thinking. And I could go home from here. I could go back to the hotel. I could lay down, and I'll be out that quick. Any fast fall asleepers in here? How many people take, have a hard time falling asleep? Is the main reason you can't turn off your mind? And most women suffer that because they're trying to solve all the problems of the world, like in 27 seconds. And they're thinking of dinner on Friday when it's only Tuesday. What's my husband going to do tomorrow when he comes home? Is he, you know, and, uh, but thank you, sweetheart. You can give me a kiss later? I feel better now. Got more energy. You got to define the problem and the issue of disagreement. Then the next thing, this is really important, step number three, how do each contribute to the issue? Very few times, and there are some cases, but very few times do you have a problem or an issue that both of you to some degree have not contributed to, right? But where this becomes a challenge is, we like to tell the other person what they, can, what they did to contribute to the problem. We're quick to say, you know, this is what you've done. We have those you words. Let me give you a hint. Don't ever start a statement with you. That's accusatory. You have a problem. What's the problem? You are. Can you, go to, can you imagine going to a dentist and you say to the dentist, he says, why are you here? He says, you have a toothache? You have a toothache. You are not a toothache. You must use the we words. We, we use the we words. What's the we word? Here's how you say it. We have a problem, Houston. When you, see, when you use we, you know what you're doing? 
you including both of you in the process as well as in the victory. A team. Teams talk this way. We have to find a way to win this game. They don't say to the coach, you have to find a way to win the game. He said, and what are you going to do? So we have to find a way. Discuss how each of you contribute to the issue. You might say, my dinner's always cold. And she'll say, because you're never home when it's done. And he might say, well, what time is dinner ready? And she might say, it's at 6 o'clock. And he say, why would you make dinner at 6 when I get home at 7.30? So, <laughs> so the resolution is simple. What's the resolution? Say it again. Make dinner at 7.30. Sometimes I'm busy, and I'm in the living room, and I come in, and my wife said, do you want to have dinner? Of course I want to have I love to eat. I mean, I have a high metabolism, but I love to eat. She said, I was calling you for the last 15 minutes. I didn't hear you. Hey, guys, help me on this one. Does your wife have a call and you don't hear? But she says, I know you heard me. You just don't want to eat. Do I look like I could skip a meal? <laughs> so I said, honey, in the future, and this is how we learn from in the future, if you don't hear me respond with a no or I'll be there in a moment, come out and see what's going on. I could be in the car and the hood could be on my head and I could be saying, help me out. And you think I'm outside just because I don't want to eat. I can't get out because the car's hood has closed on me. Find me. See if the lawnmower has taken me where I don't want to go. Find me. And when you find me and you get an affirmation that I'm going to be in, I'll shut this mower off and sit down and have a warm dinner. Because honestly, guys, what would you rather, a cold meal or a hot meal? And it depends on some of you. Some of you guys are naturalists. You eat everything raw, and I understand that. But I'm not there yet. So how do you each contribute to the issue? Then here's the other thing, because in many cases we list past ways of how to solve it. List past attempts to resolve that did not work. And, and the thing I just mentioned a moment ago, this is what it didn't work. Dinner's ready. So I say, I didn't hear you. That's the attempt that didn't work. So what happens? What's the definition of insanity? Somebody tell me. Exactly. Doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting different results. Change is, at, change is acceptable and approved at any age. List past attempts at resolving that did not work. Then the next thing, number five, let's look at this, brainstorm. Brainstorm together. List all possible solutions. And I've had couples do that. I've had couples take a piece of paper and I say, okay, write down all the things you think. I say to the wife, write down all the things you think that you should try. Husband, write down all the things you think that you both should try. List all possible solutions. Change the time of dinner. Come home earlier. Don't work so late. Whatever the case may be. Write down all the things you think could be a possible solution. And then number six, then the next one, number six, is here it is. Discuss and evaluate all possible solutions. Look at your list together. Look at your list how? Together. 
Because you know what? Sometimes a wife might come up with something you didn't think about and vice versa. And you might say, that's a really good idea. After you listen, evaluate all possible solutions, you can go to the very next one very quickly. And the very next one is this. Look at it. The very next one is this. Agree on one solution to try. And by the way, when you agree on one solution to try, try it, try to do it for a week. But if you find out after two days or three days, it's just awkward and it's not going to work, you know, the worst thing to do is put a big foot in a small shoe. Don't force it. Don't say, the counselor said, try it for a week. And then you say, like the guy whose doctor told him to walk five miles a day. At the end of the week, he called the doctor and said, I'm 35 miles away from home. What do I do now? <laughs> if the solution you try keeps moving you further and further away from home, stop it. Amen? Don't wait till seven days later. Like the other doctor told the wife, you know, you eat too much. Eat one fruit a day. She ate a watermelon. Anyway, that's called a reset. But agree on one solution to try. And when you agree on that one solution to try, the next thing you need to do, after you agree on the solution, you say, okay, let's try this one. Here's the next thing you do. Look at it. Let's say it together. Agree on how each individual will work toward the solution. My wife and I have done that. You guys know so much about us. You're going to write a book after this week is done. So what my wife has said and what I've said, because sometimes, and this has happened before. We don't, this is, doesn't happen anymore. Sometimes I'm so quick in a Bible study, I'm just like, because pastors, at least I'm this way, sometimes, you know, it's late at night and we have our devotions and my wife reads a scripture in the Bible, and all of a sudden I get this theological epiphany. And I start taking out the commentaries. You know, I start opening all the theological doors, and I'm putting this together, and I'm preparing for a doctoral dissertation. And all she wanted was a short devotion before we went to bed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I'm in the living room, and I'm... And I'm putting it all together. And she, all she wanted was a short devotion before she went to bed. And, and this is really getting good. And she walks away silently. And maybe 15 minutes later when I notice she's gone, I said, honey, this is really good. I hear no response. I go in the room. And the next day she said, you know what? I don't want to go to bed without us praying together. But honey, I was having a Bible study. That's fine. But we need to pray before we go to bed together. We need to pray together before we go to bed. So you know what I've done? When I get those doctrinal dissertation moments, I say, honey, let's pray. And I'm like a little ant looking for a bonbon. Let's pray. And we pray, and I'm, you know, I, I don't pray. I don't say, let's pray. <laughs> let's pray, and I... We talk a little bit, kind of face to face. We pray. Love you, honey. Love you, too. We pray. You don't rush after the prayer. It's, like, it's not like one hand on the knee and the other hand on the motorcycle handle. We pray, and then I say, I won't be long, but I just want to write these things down while they're in my head. But then I don't go out for two more hours. Just put a few things down and come in 
Now, what do you think I do next? Spoon! So we both can go to sleep. And I've learned, this is something I've learned. I'm, I have to learn this because I'm a late-nighter. I'm from New York City. In New York City, everything starts working at 11 o'clock at night. Some of you people raised in Michigan, we had people at our church that went to bed always before the sun set. I don't know how they do that. I'd wake up at like 7 o'clock at night and say, the world is going by and I'm missing most of it. I'm a New Yorker. For some of you farmers, that's what time you go to bed because you get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and feed the cows and then your world is almost over by 9 o'clock in the morning. You've done every chore. And some of you farmers have called me early in the morning. I had a lady call me in the morning, sometimes 5.30, 6 o'clock. What happened? Oh, I found this Bible verse I want to share with you. And I said, at that time of day, I'm just turning over. Please do not call me. If it's an emergency, I don't have any office hours. Look at number nine. Number nine. After you've tried these, after you've worked toward these solutions, set up another meeting and discuss progress. You might do it. If it starts working after three days, you might say, Angie, this is working really good. She'll say, John, I feel so much better. Let's keep this one up. And then maybe you don't need the other list. That, maybe you don't need the other things on the list because you've set up a place. And sometimes you begin to say, well, let's try it again. Well, let's do it a little differently this way. And you set up another time and meeting to discuss your progress. And lastly, because I want to go to another thing today before we're done, the very last thing you do, and don't forget this one. Let's say this together. Reward each other as you each contribute to the solution. How do you reward each other? You decide. I know how we reward each other. You decide. But remember, you're on the same team. You're on the what? Same team. Reward each other. Now, after you do that, there's something else that I want to go ahead and point out here. Did you get those 10 steps? And while you're doing these, while you're walking through the 10 steps, here are some of the things that you need to be very careful to do. Use assertiveness, assertiveness, assertive speaking and assertive and active listening. Assertiveness is important. Make sure that while your spouse is talking to you, you're not breaking in, you're not cutting in, give them room to be assertive. Uh, 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 uh. You know, don't be like an engine. And we talked about that. Don't try to cut them off. Listen with your eyes, listen with your ears. Listen with your mouth, listen with your feet. Remember that? Eyes, ears, mouth, feet. What, what am I missing? Listen with your back. What else? Listen with your neck. Get all those sensories involved. Sure. And don't seem like you're going spastic, but use all those things. Be assertive. The other thing you have to be also, try to encourage this in your other spouse. Because not everybody has self-confidence. My wife came from a family where being the youngest of eight, she was completely comfortable to be in the shadows. But I noticed after a while, no, she wasn't comfortable being in the shadows. No, she wasn't comfortable being left out. It's just that she had defaulted to that position because growing up and being the youngest of eight, that's kind of where she ended up. Some people get used to being certain places in life, but they're not comfortable being there. They had just discovered, well, I guess this is how it's going to be. Never get to the place in your marriage where you say, well, I guess this is how it's going to be. No, that does not have to be how it's going to be. You can do things differently. There's always room for improvement. Are you ready? See that together. There's what? Always room 
for improvement. So, so encourage the person to be self-confident. My wife, uh, why am I telling you all these things about it? But this works because after 35 years, we can give you some counsel, but not everything. Sometimes my wife will con be, confront an issue and she'll come home and she'll real, be really upset about it and she'll, and I would be upset because she's upset but not upset with her and I want to solve it. But what I've learned, and this is beautiful, and I've seen such progress in her this way, uh, there were times that I would, res I would go and solve a problem that she was confronted with because I knew that she didn't yet feel the tools and have the tools to go ahead and do it, so I'll try to talk to somebody. But because I'm the pastor, that's too much authority. You, you understand what I'm saying? That's too much authority. And what, and what really made me excited one day was my wife said to me, I'll handle this. And she handled it. And in a way that she didn't go off on anybody, she didn't use any colorful language, she stated her position, and she didn't state it because they agreed with it, but because she had the right to her own opinion. And when people, there's some people that will manipulate you into a corner, and they'll tell you what, they'll even suggest something to do, and because you were raised in a family where suggestions became law to you, they'll say, you'll say, let's go to the mall. They'll say, no, let's go shopping instead at the store. And you'll give up your desire to go to the mall and go shopping instead. And they'll always edit what you want to do. My wife, have learned, my wife has learned not to let people edit her life. If there's something you like, instill your self-confidence. And here's the thing that makes self-confidence beautiful. Don't think that by standing up for what you want that the other person's going to drop dead. Some people say, well, how are they going to react? That's not your concern. Just say, I want to go to the mall instead. Is that okay? Well, we want to go shopping. Well, I'll get you when you come back from shopping at the grocery store, but I'm going to go to the mall. Is that okay? Am I right? Don't let people edit you. Feel the freedom and the confidence to stand where you know. And the other thing about conflict resolution is avoidance. This is huge. And by the way, at the very end of this seminar, I'm going to give you a website where you can go because what I want to see is not that you just spent the week with me or maybe the days that you came, but I want to give you some resources so that you can get in touch with the company I work with. And they are all over the nation. And in some cases, in certain countries around the world, you can contact them. You can select in your zip code range, 5, 10 mile, 5 or 10 or 15 mile radius or 2 mile radius, wherever you live. And you can find counselors that will help you enhance your relationship. The other thing, avoidance. Some couples are high on avoidance because the other couple is high on dominance. You know what that means? When one person dominates, the other person usually tends to be, they avoid any kind of confrontation because they know that the moment they say something, one spouse will say, I don't like that. So you know what happens? They decide to back down because the other one is so insertive. They become the person of avoidance because the other one has partner dominance. Partner dominance. And I noticed on some of the scales, I've seen couples, I said, you're a really quiet guy. And I realized because your wife is 87% dominant and you're 87% avoidant. And I say 87% doesn't mean it's a good thing. 
So you want to be able to be the person that gives your spouse the willingness to talk so that they don't have to go into the corner of avoidance. All right? Last thing before we go into the very important area I like, and, that, and I talked about avoidance and partner dominance. Now, you ready for the last part today? Are you ready? Here it is. Discovering, say it together, love languages. Everybody loves differently. Everybody loves differently. Come on up, honey. My wife is like a fireman. She's ready anytime. And I love that. There were times that, and my wife has grown tremendously. She's her own radio talk show host. She has a program on, on 3ABN radio called um, Crossroads. She interviews people. And I've seen such growth in her, and I'm excited about that. Words of affirmation. Now, we were talking about this, and my wife kind of acknowledged that. Honey, uh, I'm going to give you the microphone. Uh, what's my love language? Your love language is you. <laughs> you make me laugh. You, you like affirmation. You like words of affirmation. Okay. And it's, it's true, because he's so good at home. When I come in with my groceries, he's the first to help me. He doesn't let me just walk past him and take groceries in. He's always there to boom. Oh, honey, is there more groceries in the car? Yeah. And he'll go and bring them all in, and I'll take them out. And so sometimes I say to you, honey, that is so nice. I really appreciate that about you. Mm -hmm. you, you help me in the house. You, you're courteous. You're very courteous to me. Keep and going. So, I'm loving this. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. I love him so much. You're very courteous to me. And it's not just publicly. It's privately. That's right. It, um, I'm respectful to him. And so it works hand in hand, doesn't it? That's Go right. Ahead. And you know what? When she says, oh, I appreciate that so much, you know what happens? I love doing it. When you know your spouse acknowledges what you do, ladies, come on, don't you like doing it? When you, Husbands, don't you like that? When your wife says, oh, I love it when you stand up for me. You look for people to stand up for her against. But when my wife says, I love that. Or sometimes you're walking through the church and I would grab her bag. Or sometimes she's in the mall in whatever store it is and she wants to go to the dressing room. I'll put her pocketbook on my shoulder. And I said, I'm enough, of, I'm enough of a man that I don't have to worry about anybody thinking strange while I have my wife's purse <laughs> on my shoulder. Amen? I'm not, my masculinity is secure. <laughs> Because some people, some guys are not like that. They'll say, honey, would you hold my purse for me? I'm not holding that. So, but when she says, honey, and then, and I don't have to, but I could see, even if it's not heavy, I'll carry that. I got that. You know what's nice about that? When I hurt my finger when we were going to New Guinea, uh, then my wife became the, 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 the Hercules, hero of song and story, Herculine. She was the one grabbing that suitcase off of the conveyor belt. She was the one hoisting it in the car. And I said, go ahead with your bad self. <laughs> I didn't know she was that strong. But she said, honey, I got it. I got it. 
And I appreciated that so much because sometimes a husband is at the place where he wants to do it, but he can't because something happened and he's injured or something has caused him not to be at his best. And the wife steps in. And you know what I said to her? Honey, I love that about you. You know, I said to her, you're not one of those frail women that have air in their bones. My wife got muscle. She's Jamaican English, born in England, but she's Jamaican. My wife could handle herself. So my love language is words of affirmation. Mm -hmm. I love it, and I know that that's hers also. Honey, I love that. When she cooks, you know what, you know what husbands, when your wife cooks a good meal, you know what you should say? What should you say? That was good. And the other thing my wife does, if you guys write a book on us, at least give us the publishing rights. When my wife cooks, she brings my dinner first. I always share his first, never mine. And that's how I was raised. I, I always give him the best. If, there's, if it's a little burned in the bottom, I'll never give him the burned part. I will give him the best part of the rice. And I'll take the burned part. Well, you know what I've done now because I know that? I say, honey, you don't have to eat the burned roll. Take mine. Don't, because your wife settled for that, don't make her the default that always settles for less. Say, honey, I could eat the burned roll. She said, but no, I want you to have the best. I said, don't worry about it. I already got rid of the burned roll. I cut it off. The butter will take care of it. A little bit of red raspberry jelly will make me forget about the burn. Amen, guys? When your wife determines that she'll give you the best, don't make her the second citizen in your house. Switch it sometimes. No, honey. And sometimes she comes home, well, this is every now and then, but sometimes in the morning, and it doesn't always happen, not just for Valentine's Day, not just for her birthday, but some mornings I get up, and I do this a lot, I get up, and I'm out in the kitchen, she's getting ready for work, and when she comes out, all the breakfast is ready, Stripples, scramble eggs, or, you know, the non-eggs, eggs, whatever, you know, how to get, and toast, and got her tea, and her vitamins, and I know she likes orange juice. I like something warm in the morning. And she takes a picture and puts it on Facebook. And all the husbands get mad at me. They said, John, you're making it tough for us. And they've actually said that. You're making it tough for us. And on Valentine's Day, you know, we don't believe in St. Valentine. But I do believe in expressing my love to my wife. Get her roses. I got her a card this huge. And I get her another card and another card. Because it's a honey, there's not one card that expresses to you, to me, how I feel about you. So here's the first card, and here's the next one. And then breakfast, the table is red, and the flowers are red. And she puts it on Facebook, and I get threaten threatening mails from guys. We're going to take you out, John. You're making it tough for us. But learn the love language. And one of those is, put it together, say it with me, words of affirmation. Here's how you can know. Stay with me, hon. Here's how you can know that it's lacking. Sometimes a wife will say, I work my tail off every day, yet my spouse acts like I haven't done a thing. And if you don't ever say you appreciate it, that's how they feel. But here's what you do. Here's what you do. And this is true. My wife has said this to me before. What do you say? John, what do you say? Thanks for taking out the garbage. My mom said to me, the garbage 
should never stay in the house overnight. Hint. The other one is, let's say this together, what is it? Together? Quality time. But not just quality time, sometimes it should be quantity time. Because some husbands say, we've got quality time. What's our time, honey? What's our time? What's our special time? Thursdays. Go ahead. Thursdays is our date night when he doesn't have to do a Thursday night live um, for 3 ABN. I'm like, oh, yes, it's Thursdays. And sometimes it's Sunday. That's but right. It's normally Thursday. We just go out to eat or go to Carbondale. Just that's drive around the best together. Buy. Just do something different. Mm -hmm. But we, that's our date night. And we protect it. We protect it. You, oh, yes. should, you should set a time where you protect your relationship with your spouse. And make it quality and quantity. And when people say, hey, uh, I'd like you to come and visit me Thursday night at such and such a time, say, well, sorry, that's already taken. When I make appointments, I don't, I don't frame it into my... Now, if it's an emergency and somebody's in the hospital and there's a situation that needs to be, my wife and I will go together. But we guard our time. Only as you invest in each other will you grow. When you spend time together, you learn more about each other. But that's sometimes the challenge. Sometimes people don't want to learn about each other. They want to just say, well, that's how it's going to be, and that's yeah. the way we're going to leave it. No, don't default that way. No. Try to learn about each other. Can I get an amen? amen? When you learn about each other, you discover that the relationship is going to be more and more beautiful. Quality time. Here's how you recognize it's lacking. You would rather watch television or do anything other than talk. Mm -hmm. And some people do that. The guy would say, look, I just came home. I need some peace. We had a guy that would come home, he would go in the, in the guest room and lay down, and he would say to his wife, don't bother me for an hour. He'd come straight in going to get, don't bother me for an hour. And he'd make that a law. And what happened? They grew apart. How do you facilitate that? How do you do it? Tell him, honey. Turn off the television, radio, get away from the crowds. Look at your spouse and give them your full attention. That's right. Amen. Hey. Uh, amen. <laughs> She's so electrified, I got next to her and my microphone died. Give her or him your full attention. Look at each other's eyes. You know, the eyes are the doorway to the soul. When you look at the eyes, you don't have to say a whole lot because the eyes, that connection, that connection makes a huge difference. The next one is... Third one, tell them, honey, what is it? Receiving gifts. Receiving gifts. Some people complain, this is a complaint from a spouse, you never bring me anything when you come home from your travels. If I ever have to go anywhere quickly without my wife, I like to bring something home. We have a whole lot of beanie babies. Anybody remember those beanie babies? Little furry things? If I went to, I, went, I remember I went to Canada, I don't know what it was, but I brought home a Canadian beanie baby. And, um, and we have all these Beanie Babies from a teddy bear, that's right, from London, bought a teddy bear. I had to go over there, we were planning an evangelistic series, and Danny couldn't go, and so he said, you got to go in my place. So I went, I brought her back an English teddy bear. And so what happens is, when you, when you invest, when you show a person that it doesn't have to be a special occasion to give her a gift, then she knows, or he knows, you are awake, right? And here's one of the keys. This is huge. Treat your spouse better, far better than you would treat a stranger. 
Because some people meet strangers in the mall. They're so nice. Oh, good to meet you, Angela. I'm your neighbor. I've noticed you've been, you're such a nice neighbor. And then they come home and they talk to their spouse. Like, so what? No. Give them gifts. And, um, but don't put yourself in debt. Don't pull my ear because it's kind of big. You might see it. Give a gift that has nothing to do with a special occasion. Be spontaneous. Sometimes uh, I go to the store and we walk through and uh, I pass by my wife and I said, ooh, I love that. What is that? She'd tell me what it is. And like a next week, she would be going to the dress and she'd say, what is that? I said, I love the way that smell. I got it for you. And she'd say, you got it for me. <laughs> Guys, I'm giving you some hints. Amen, ladies? Giving you, spice it up. Let me tell you something. If you think that your interest grows when you put money in the bank, your interest will grow even faster when you put interest in your spouse. Not just your money, but your love. The other one, are you writing them all down? The fourth one is, say that together, what is it? Acts of service. Acts of service. Very important. Acts of service. Let's talk about this one, honey. He tells me he loves me, but he never does anything to show it. The thought never crosses his mind to help me with anything in the house or whatever. That's right. He's never helped me. And that's not true in our relationship because when my wife cooks, when she brings the dishes to the table, I take the dishes away. I know I would rather, I don't know if any guys feel this way, how many of you guys would rather build a house than wash the dishes? Am I the only one? I don't like washing dishes. I'll go away, I'll come back, the dishes in the sink. Well, we have a dishwasher now. That helps. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I just, have this, I just have this thing about washing well, dishes. Fine. But every now, I do it, every now and then I do it, and she says, who washed the dishes? Yeah. Well, I did. Shocking. Shocking her. But I would do anything else. I'd mop. I'd vacuum. I'd yeah, do was. the windows. So when we have company, we have this thing. Honey, I say, you cook, and I'll do everything else. I love that. <laughs> say it again. I love that deal. <laughs> So while she's in the kitchen cooking, oh, man, I can hear the food calling my name. And I know it's going to be a good week. And while she's doing that, acts of service. I'm vacuuming. I'm doing the lawn. I'm making sure the house in the front is presentable for people when they come in. Straighten out the carpet. Vacuum the entryway. Mop. Put everything together. Clean the living room up. I mean, she gets the better end of the bargain. Because I have the rest of the house to get ready, and she's doing her job, and I do my job. And whenever people come over, we always say, welcome. <laughs> a lot of work. <laughs> a lot of work, but acts of service. When you do things, how do you resolve that? Here's how you do that. Show through the little and big things that you are willing to lift the load and make her life easier. And the last one. The last one. Write it down. What is it? Physical touch. Do you think that's one of our love languages? Yes, it is. We love to hug. We love to touch. We just love that. Because, you know, I believe that there is this, 
there is this unsaid, I believe that the Lord pours into her love tank and pours into my love tank and like a plane in mid-flight, there's a, there's a nozzle between her and me called the refueling cord that connects when we go like this. <laughs> I feel her compassion and her love and her support when we hug and she goes like this on my shoulder or my back and I'll go like this, touch her head. Physical touch. You don't have to tell me that, but if your love language is physical touch, here's some of the ways that you can recognize it's lacking. I've heard people say, I don't think that you would touch me unless I initiated. Is there something wrong with me? Some people don't. And you know what? There was a survey done. Matter of fact, this is in a hospital. This is not necessarily a couple. But I've had people that have said, I'm starving for touch. We had a man whose wife died. And we said, how do you feel? He said to me, my arms are aching. I just want to hug somebody. God intended for physical touch to mean something. A study was done about a young girl in the hospital. And they noticed that she had a disease that seemed to be unresolvable. But one of the nurses took a particular interest in her, and she went by the bedside and took this little child and put in her lap and just began to stroke her here. In a couple of days, the, girl, the child began to talk. She began to straighten up. She began to brighten up. She began to be very vocal. And, began to, and they said, what, was, what did you do to the child? She said, I just hugged her. She lacked touch. That's why we should never put a person in a position where they lose touch, either from spouse or parent, between children. Touch is so vitally important. It helps us to grow and to be nurtured. Amen? Lastly, come on, I got it. Lastly, how do you resolve it? How do you resolve it? Let's see. Hold hands when you walk. We would do that in the mall. Hold hands when you walk. Hold your mic up because I have it on. Hold hands when you walk. Talk with your hand on her shoulder or back. Touch her spontaneously while driving, hug, or kiss. And you got a license. <laughs> so enjoy that license, right? Do that. Sometimes I'm driving and I'll reach over and just touch her knee and she look over and smile. It makes the drive so much nicer. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When we get in the car and pray, at the end of the prayer, what do we do, honey? Yes. We always kiss at the end of the prayer. You know what? The sad reality of it, and I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to just go a little bit because I want us to read 1 Corinthians 13 together. But here's the key. Sad story of a man who the neighbor one day saw his neighbor leaving the house with a package. And they just happened to talk. He said, hey, where are you, where are you on your way to? He said, I'm on my way to take something for my wife. He said, how's she doing? He said, she passed away. He said, what do you, what do you, so what do you mean you're taking something for her? He said, you know, we, we, she bought certain things that she was saving for a rainy day, but we never got to use them. So they're in this package. I'm going to take them for her dress. And he mentioned some other things that they were saving for a rainy day. Let me be very candid with you. Rainy days don't always come. Every moment you have your eyes open, Every moment you can touch and breathe and say, I'm sorry. Don't ever feel that it's so hard to say, I'm sorry. I love you. I appreciate you. Honey, God gave us another day. We end the night confessing our sins. Lord, if there's anything we've done, please forgive us. As we sleep, cover us with your protection, with your righteousness. We end the day with our issues resolved as best we can. 
There are those odd moments, but God will wake us up when those odd moments come and say, fix it before you sleep any further. And we've had those. But never take a day for granted because every day somebody's passing off into eternity. Am I right? So what I want us to do right now as we close, and I know we've had, huh? I am. Let's do this together. Are you ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're all reading this together. If you can see it, let's start together. My wife and me together. Though I speak speak with the the tongues tongues of men and of angels, angels, but have not not love, love, I have become what? Sounding Sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am what? I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me what? Nothing. Nothing. Together, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things together. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I did what? I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three, and together, but the greatest of these is love. Amen. Loving Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, first of all, for my lovely wife. For this woman you've given to me for the last 35 years as wife, And even the years prior to that, as we grew together, completely ignorant and unaware of what was ahead of us in the world. We have been in valleys and mountains. We have been on rough roads and smooth roads. We have had hurricanes and soft breezes. We have stood together. There were times when we had to find ways of building a bridge to reconnect our hearts. And other days when we laughed and we smiled and we ran and we jumped and enjoyed the invigorating chemistry of love. But Lord, today, all those experiences are behind us and they have built us and they are there for reference. But there's a new road ahead of us today. And Lord, I dedicate my heart to you. I pray that my wife, uh, together, we dedicate our lives to you. We pray for the husbands and wives standing here today. Lord, give the husband the strength and the wisdom to be everything that you will have him to be. First of all, the priest of the home. To be the man that brings his wife before the Lord in the morning and at the close of their day. Help him be the strength, the confidant to whom she can run in times of difficulty, times of hardship and trial. 
And may they smile together and shed tears together. May they win together and travel together. I pray for the wives, Lord, today that you'll give them the beautiful virtues that can only come with your divine touch to make the husband sad to leave home and joyful to come home. And thank you, Lord, for my wife, her patience, her love, the times of forgiveness. Thank you for all of those great qualities that keep us strong in our walk as we all advance toward the kingdom. And so as we leave this encampment, Lord, I pray that we all believe that there's nothing difficult for God in our relationships, our love, and our marriage could be so strong. So where there's a weak point, Father, lead us to a resolution. Help us to learn and put in action these principles that we have learned this week. And finally, Lord, when the time comes for that trumpet to blow and the names of all the saved to be called, we will walk through the gates into the new Jerusalem with our husband and with our wife. I pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. And all of God's couples said, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.